during my psalm sermon series, I started off some of my sermons with questions something like this. If God told you that in order to please him, you had to go and climb the highest mountain in the world, would you do it? If, if, that, if God said, that's the one thing I want from you, and, and you will honor me perfectly, would, would you do it? Now, some of us may not be physically capable of doing it, but if that's what God said he wanted from us, would you do it? Or what if God said something easier, like, in order for you to honor me, I want you to drink at least two cans of Mountain Dew every day. <laughs> if, God, did you say at least? Okay, I can, I can do that. If, if you want me to. Or what if he said something much harder, like, I want you to wake up every night at 3 in the morning and spend 15 minutes kneeling in prayer. God said, That's the, that is the one thing that I want you to do. Would you do it? Now, the heart behind all of these questions is to ask the one question, is it your desire to honor God? If he's told you how it is that he would like for you to live, would you commit to living that way? Now, my big idea for my sermon today, I'm going to give it to you right away. God has always expected that we follow him according to his ways. God has always expected that we follow him according to his ways. That was true in the Garden of Eden, even before Adam and Eve fell into sin. God expected them to live in his ways. It was true in the Old Testament, where God told his people how to live. It's true for us now in the New Covenant. God has told us how we are to live, and he expects us to live according to his ways. One of my pastor friends said, we come to God and live our lives for him on his terms. See, our relationship with God isn't primarily about how we want to live. Now, it does go really well for us in our relationship with him if we live according to his ways. But first and foremost, our relationship with him should be a seeking of him to live on his terms according to the ways that he wants us to. Now, in the Old Testament, there was this long list of laws called, not surprisingly, the law. I don't know where, don't know where they came up with that term, but yeah. In the law, God told his people 600-some laws of how he wanted them to live, things he wanted them to do, things he wanted them not to do. And God really did want his people to live according to that law. Now, sometimes we in the New Covenant maybe look back and say, oh, that law, it was always meant to be taken away because it was imperfect. But the fact of the matter is that in that Old Covenant, Before Jesus Christ came, God wanted his people to live according to that law. Now, when Jesus came, things changed, and we'll talk about that in my sermon today, but the law was good. God gave it to his people so that they could follow him. Now, the people of Jesus' day began to wonder what he was saying and how it related to or even contrasted with the law. And we're at our at the place in our sermon series now we're looking at Matthew chapters 1 through 7 and we started the Sermon on the Mount a little bit ago and we're in the third section of that now Matthew 5 verses 17 through 20 where Jesus talks about the law and the people were starting to wonder who is this guy? Does he have any authority to say anything about the law? And some people were even calling him a lawbreaker. So what is it that Jesus said about the law? Now, for the people of Jesus' day, that was a huge issue, right? I mean, they were supposed to live according to God's law. And now here comes Jesus, and he starts to say some things. And and they wondered, how does this match up with this? Now, for us, though, on the other side, we know some things about the New Covenant. And and we've, 
we might have some questions, well, how, how does this apply to us? In fact, one of the big questions that I struggled with this week is, how do I preach a sermon on the law that feels relevant for today? So you may be asking yourself the question, okay, we're going to talk about the law today, but what Jesus said about the law, what, why does it matter for me? Well, I want to tell you my application points right away. I've got three of them for you. Uh, and by the way, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to walk through what Jesus said, and then I'm going to give you my application points. But I want to answer that question before we get into the passage, because I think it's an important one. Why does any of this matter for us today? And there's three reasons why I think Jesus' teaching on the law is important for us. Because it helps us understand our salvation. It helps us understand how we should view the old covenant law. And it helps us understand how we should follow God now. So those are three pretty important things, I think. So even though there might be this, uh, this thought that goes in your mind, oh, okay, I can check out, he's going to talk about the law. No, I don't want you to do that. I want you to listen to what it is that Jesus said about the law, and then we'll apply it to our lives. Okay. Now, like I said, to the people of Jesus' day, this was a huge deal. They were wondering who he was, does he have the authority to say anything about the law? And, and to help you understand the context of what Jesus was doing, it said at the beginning of Matthew 5 that he was teaching his disciples. And his disciples would have pe been people who were trying to follow the old covenant law as revealed in what they called the scripture. It was God's word to them. So Jesus was teaching people who were supposed to follow that law. Uh, or Excuse me, bigger scale, here's, here's what it would have looked like. He was teaching people who wanted to follow God according to his ways because that's what every one of us should do. We should follow God according to his ways. And for these people, up until that point in time, the law had a whole lot to do with following God according to his ways. So that's the context there. People, when they heard this, maybe unlike us, they're thinking, this is really important. This stuff that Jesus is going to say about the law it is important for us, although we need to do some work to figure out how. And that's what I want to do today. And we're going to start by reading the passage, Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. That's our whole passage today. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now again, people were wondering at this point if Jesus was a lawbreaker. And he clarifies himself right away in verse 17 saying, no, I, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. And there's a little bit of a play on words here. The, the word abolish can mean destroy. And then the word fulfill can mean to complete or to finish. So I, I kind of have this word picture in my mind of a stone wall. And you can see this wall is being built together by putting stones together. And some of the stones are bigger. In fact, Jesus says that some of the laws are more important than the others, and some of the stones are smaller. But altogether, it's a wall. And the people were wondering, hey, Jesus, are you, are you coming with a sledgehammer to destroy that wall? And he said, no, far from it. In fact, I am coming to complete that wall. Okay, so that, that's what he's saying there in, in verse 17. And, and in fact, later on in verse 19, Jesus warned the people not to break any part of the law 
So back to that analogy, he's saying, don't even take one tiny little stone of it out of it. He said, not the smallest, not even one letter can be taken out of it until everything is accomplished. So right away, we should note that fulfill is one of the key words in our passage. We have to understand what Jesus meant there by saying that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So, so what does that mean? Well, a theologian, Craig Blomberg, said that Christ will bring the law to its intended goal, meaning he was going to finish off the deal. So how did Christ fulfill or complete the law? Well, there's two ways that I want to mention First is through his obedience to the law. There is no evidence anywhere that Jesus broke any law. Some people accuse him of breaking laws. Like remember, they, they accused him of working on the Sabbath when he healed somebody. But upon closer inspection, what we see in every instance was that Jesus was in fact not breaking the law. Jesus never broke any of the laws. He lived a perfect life. Now that becomes really important for us because Jesus was our sacrifice and he had to be perfect in order to be our perfect sacrifice. And that leads me into the second point of how Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law as our sacrifice. You think about Old Testament. Any of you uh, read through the Old Testament? If you have, you have seen a lot of stuff in there about animal sacrifices. It's a huge topic in the Old Testament. And Jesus came as the once for all perfect sacrifice to complete the law. So that's how Jesus fulfilled the law. Um, and, and like he, again, he said in verse 18, that not even one letter, not even one part of a letter, you can't even change an E to an F, none of it will disappear until everything is accomplished. That's what Jesus said. So in saying that, Jesus acknowledged the authority of the law. Yes, he would fulfill it, but it still had authority. The law was God's word, and through the law, God told his people how they were supposed to follow him. So in that sense, the law was good. And, and just a quick side note here on verse 18, where Jesus said not one letter or a stroke of a pen can be taken away. That's one of the many places in the Bible where we can look at this for evidence of the doctrine of inerrancy. Now some of you maybe don't know what that means, and I don't have time to unpack all that it means. Uh, but inerrancy means that every word of the Bible is God's word. And, you know, people in our day and age can quibble about that. And we can say things like, well, yeah, sure, we translate it from Greek to English and from Hebrew to English. And even the, the scribes, when they were copying it, sometimes they made a mistake. And we have to do our best then to figure out what was the actual original. But the point remains, and Jesus said it himself, Jesus knew about all these issues and, and he said here and in other places, the Bible is God's word. He said in John 10 that scripture cannot be broken. So if you're ever wondering, you know, is, is, can I trust the Bible? The answer is a resounding yes. According to Jesus Christ himself, the Bible is God's word. Again, God wants us to follow him. And as such, he's given us a book that teaches us how to follow him, and we can trust in it. Okay. Um, so Jesus warned the people then in verse 19, because this is God's word, he warned them not to break any of these commands. Back to the stone wall analogy. Every stone, even if it's a small one, is important, and none of them are to be broken or taken out. You see, Jesus wanted obedience. 
And again, we have to remember that Jesus was speaking at this time to people who were under the law. He hadn't yet died to usher in the age of the new covenant. So Jesus wanted, wanted obedience. In fact, that's what God has always wanted. That's what God still wants from us. In, in the book of John, Jesus tells us repeatedly that we are to obey him because we love him. So God wants obedience. Now, when Jesus fulfilled the law, things would change about what that obedience means, and we'll talk about that later. But for now, Jesus was talking about following the law, and that's why he goes on to say then uh, in verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were known for keeping the law. And if anybody in the eyes of the people was righteous in terms of following the law, it would have been those people. So for Jesus to say to the people, uh, you need to be more righteous than the Pharisees, that would have been a stunning thing. They would have been, whoa, whoa, Jesus, those are the people who like spend their whole lives trying to keep the, the rules and the law. There's this analogy that the law was like a fence around something that people weren't supposed to touch. And the Pharisees were known for constructing another fence outside of that fence so that they wouldn't even get close to the first fence. So again, in the eyes of the people, they would have been the people that if you could have gained righteousness through the law, the people would have said it would have been them. But what Jesus says in verse 20 is your righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees if you're going to get into heaven. And I think what's going on here is that Jesus is looking ahead to the cross. There is a different kind of righteousness that is needed than mere rule following because rule following could never get anyone into heaven. We're going to see later on in chapter 5, Jesus pointed out some things also that were wrong in the hearts of the Pharisees so that even though they might have been following the rules outwardly, there was something wrong with their hearts. Uh, elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus railed on the Pharisees for not having the right heart. And I've, I've got some Bible verses up now. Uh, for the rest of my sermon, I'm actually going to go through quite a few Bible verses. So I, I've actually put together a PowerPoint, and, and I'm going to walk you through some of them. I usually don't try to throw in so many extra scriptures. Uh, I, like I, I kind of like to focus on the one passage. But as we talk about Jesus' fulfillment of the law, it just seemed to me that this was a time we should look at what the rest of Scripture has to say. Uh, so there's... I, uh, I don't apologize for it, but I, I warn you that there's going to be some, some scripture verses. Uh, and I think you'll find it to be interesting. In fact, I, I was thinking about this. Some of you, you're going to want to sit on the edge of your seat here because this will be like, you know, uh, in some ways this is like seminary-level theology. Uh, others of you, don't fall asleep because there might be something, there will be something in here I think God will show you, even if you're not uh, theologically minded like this. But, so anyways, back to the Pharisees. Jesus said of them in Mark 7, 6, and we can put that one up there, Todd. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So Jesus knew their hearts, and he knew that there was something wrong inside of their hearts. He didn't come after them for their rule following. He came after them for what was going on in their hearts. And this gets at the whole issue of why the law needed to be fulfilled. Remember, Jesus came to fulfill the law, and the reason that that was necessary is because we all have a righteousness problem. It wasn't just the Pharisees who had a righteousness problem. Every single one of us has a righteousness problem. In Romans 3.10, it says, There is no one righteous, not even one. Now, that's, 
that's bad news so far. If you're thinking that you want to get into heaven and the news is simply, well, you have to be righteous, and Jesus says no one is righteous, that, that alone doesn't leave much hope. But that's where we all stand, every single one of us. We are not righteous on our own. Now, as I said at the beginning, um, I think that there are at least three reasons why this passage is important to us, and I want to get into them now. And the first one should be pretty obvious to you now, and it has to do with salvation. So Jesus' teaching on the law helps us understand salvation. See, the takeaway for me from verse 20 is that there is no such thing as salvation through following the rules. There's no such thing as salvation through good works or working the law, living according to the law. And actually, the law was never intended to make us righteous. It's only through Jesus that we can be made righteous. You see, the law was actually brought about to point out our sin. Romans 7, 7, that's the next verse, says, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. You ever been driving on a road and you don't know what the speed limit is and, and you look at your speedometer and you're going 55 miles an hour and you're like, okay, maybe it's 55. And then all of a sudden you come up on a sign that says speed limit 30. You know at that moment that you are a lawbreaker. It's maybe not that you intended to, but you were breaking the law. You didn't know it until the sign said it. And that's the deal with the law. The law explains to us what's going wrong in our hearts. That's, that's one of the main reasons for the law. Now, yes, God wanted the people to follow the law as written. That was one reason. But here's this other reason. It was to point out how unrighteous we are so, for this reason, the New Testament makes clear that salvation cannot come through following the law. If someone wants to try, here's the standard. The next verse on there is Romans 2.13b. It is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. So that's your bar. You want to be declared righteous? Okay, obeying the law, that's the standard. But one chapter later, Paul says in Romans 3, you can get it up on the screen, Romans 3.20, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So if you try to follow the law, you'll realize that you will fail. Every single one of us. There's, there's things that we do wrong. Paul says it bluntly in Galatians 3.10, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So even if you tried your hardest, there would be something that you would miss. You would fail. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. I want you to picture a trial where a guy is on trial for murder. And, and let's say that he's, you know, all along he's been saying, I'm not guilty, I'm not guilty. And then finally at one point in the trial he says, Okay, okay, judge, you got me. I, I committed that murder. I was angry and I committed that murder. But judge, there's something you need to know about me. I'm no thief. I've never stolen anything in my life. I was a good kid. I got good grades. What do you think the judge is going to say? Oh, okay, well, yeah, you missed this one little law about murder, but everything else you've been doing fine, so go ahead. No. That judge is going to say, you go to jail. And for us, human beings, spiritually speaking, it's even worse than that because God knows already. He doesn't have to put us on trial. He already knows that we're sinners. And the penalty for sin is death. And that death is not just a physical death. It's a spiritual separation from God. And that's where every one of us stands on our own in our own unrighteousness. So, 
Our salvation cannot come through the law. There has to be another way. And fortunately there is. That's why Jesus came. That's why he fulfilled the law for us. Because remember, if we want to get into heaven, we have to have more righteousness than the Pharisees. And don't misunderstand, it's not that we should just try to be the best of the Pharisees or to do it better than them. We need a different kind of righteousness. A righteousness that doesn't come from ourselves. And that kind of righteousness is only given to us through Christ, through faith. I want to show you now Romans 3, 21 through 22. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And that is the gospel message. We must believe in Christ. The gospel message is not a message of try your hardest to do your best and maybe God will let you in. It's amazing how many people I've met in my life as, I, as I've shared the gospel with people and I ask them, you know, do you think you'll go to heaven when you die? And their answer is, oh yeah, I think I'm a pretty good person. They're getting out the scales and they're comparing themselves to the Pharisees and they're saying, you know what, I think I'm okay. But that is not the gospel message. You cannot get into heaven that way. The gospel message is that we must believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, as our Savior recognizing that we're sinners who need to be cleansed and forgiven that I don't come to God with righteousness, I come to him with unrighteousness and I need to be forgiven. And then we receive Jesus Christ as Lord, meaning we give our whole lives to him, meaning we follow him. We were not meant to direct our own lives. We are to give our lives to Jesus Christ. And then according to 2 Corinthians 5, which I don't have on the slide here, but uh, in Christ we become the righteousness of God. There is a trade, a transaction that takes place where Christ takes our sin and we get clothed with his righteousness. And, and what a trade. I was thinking about this. It's like a kid at, at lunch opens up his lunch and he finds some carrots in the back of there that have been there for a month and they're all moldy. And he's sitting next to a kid who has three Oreos and he says, you want to trade? And, and the kid says, sure. Christ took our sin and it cost him greatly. He died on the cross for our sin. And the result for us who believe in him is that we get clothed with his righteousness. It's a pretty amazing deal. That's how we get righteousness. That's how we get salvation. That's how our righteousness will exceed that of the Pharisees. Only in Christ. Only by faith. Okay, so that's one thing we need to know about the law. Is that we don't get salvation through it. We become aware of sin through it so that we are pointed to Christ and receive him. Okay, moving on to number two. Jesus' teaching on the law helps us understand how we should view the Old Covenant law or Old Testament law. Have you ever wondered how we're supposed to view those laws in the Old Testament? Now, some of them clearly changed. For example, some of the food restrictions changed in the New Covenant. Uh, but what about the ones that aren't specifically mentioned in the New Testament? Are we still supposed to follow them? For example... Leviticus 19.19 says, Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Anybody in here wearing a cotton poly blend? Uh, now, we, we kind of laugh at that, like, ha, 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 we're not really supposed... But that's just one verse after Leviticus 19.18. Does anybody know what that verse says? Love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're reading the Old Testament and we're reading Leviticus 19, and we see this verse, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, yeah, that's a pretty important one. We should do that. One verse later, it says this one, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. 
Or just eight verses later, it says, do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Anyone in here ever used a, a hair clipper? Yes? Okay, okay. It's confession time. Here, <laughs> So what's the deal? Are we supposed to follow these laws? I mean, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't wear clothes woven of two kinds of material. Are we supposed to follow them? Well, the simple answer is, in Christ, no, we follow the new covenant. Now, I, I thought about that, and I was like, do I really want to say the answer is no? Because Christ clearly says that, that parts of that we're still supposed to follow, like the part where he says, love your neighbor as yourself. But the answer is, it's in the new covenant. Um, Galatians 3, 24 through 25, and this one is on the screen. It says, So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. That's what I just said in my first point, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So the purpose of the law is to point us to our need for Christ. Let me use an example here. I went to school, high school at Hillcrest. Uh, and when I went there, they had some rules. Uh, they had a dress code. Is Gretchen in here? Or anybody go to the Hillcrest here? Do they still have a dress code there at Hillcrest? Okay. When I was there, maybe it's changed since then, but you couldn't wear shirts with logos on them. So no Minnesota Vikings shirts, no Eddie Bauer shirts, nothing that had a logo on it. And then also you couldn't wear shorts. There were some days where they would wave that one, some really hot days where they said you could wear shorts. But while you were going to school there, that was the rule. And also they had a closed lunch when I was there. So even though I drove myself to school there, I couldn't just go to Dairy Queen for lunch if I wanted to. Those were the rules. And the purpose of it was to provide an environment where I could learn the things where they thought that, I, that they thought I needed to learn. And they thought that those rules would best help us learn those things. And I learned a lot of good things there. Things that helped prepare me for my life and my career. But I don't go to Hillcrest anymore. So if I want to go to Dairy Queen for lunch now, I can get in my car and go there. And the principal's not going to come after me and look funny at me. Uh, no longer under the supervision of those rules. And I have a job now, and I am under the supervision of actually you all. Do you know that in an evangelical free church, the, the congregation is actually, they say underneath the Holy Spirit, the congregation is the, the highest authority. Uh, Jesus Christ leading, of course. We all follow him. So I don't have that authority over you in that sense. You actually kind of have some authority over me. You could vote me out if you wanted to call a special meeting and do that. Uh, we're not going to have that special meeting. You know, <laughs> if you want to call it, you can. I'm not going to call that special meeting. That's what I'll say. I use that illustration to say, for those of us who have faith in Christ, we are not bound by old covenant law anymore. And Paul uses even stronger language than that. In Romans 7, 4, he says, So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. In Galatians 2, Paul says that he died to the law and was crucified with Christ so that he could live a new life by faith with God. So the law is good in that it points us to Christ, but that's exactly what it's meant to do. It's meant to point us to another. There's a theologian, his name is Colin Cruz. He said the law in that sense, let me read this, uh, is a doorway to a life of holiness. It's not the way to holiness, it's just a doorway pointing us to Christ. Or I think Romans 10.4 says it better. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. 
That's why Paul can say in Romans 3 that he upholds the law, because there is a good use of it to point out our need for Christ. Okay, back to our question then. How then do we view Old Testament, Old Covenant law? Well, first, we're not bound by it. Now, that doesn't mean that we should just throw it away and forget about it. Um, we can still learn a lot from it. Remember, God's purpose in giving the law to those people was to teach them how to follow him. So there are things that as we read it, we can understand, oh yeah, God was pleased by that action. Now, we don't try to read it to try to figure out how to live in that law. For example, if you're reading a, a part of the Old Testament that's talking about animal sacrifices, it's not like you should go and try to learn how to be a butcher so that you can sacrifice the animal the right way. Rather, I would say we should look at that passage and try to understand why was it that that sacrifice pleased God? And is there anything about that that applies to me? So, uh, the way that I would say it then is that we should look at the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of the new covenant that we live in. And, and yes, there's something to be learned for understanding it according to the original hearers. That's actually a really helpful tool. But that's not how we apply it. We don't apply the Old Testament as if we were living in it. We live, those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, we live in the new covenant by faith. And we look back then through the lens of Jesus to figure out how we can apply the truths of the new covenant. Okay, does that make sense? That's kind of a, you know, that, that's just something you need to know. The, the Old Testament is something like three-fourths of the Bible. And, and we need to know how to understand that huge section of the Bible. And that's how we understand it. Through look, understanding that Christ came and fulfilled the law. And then we look at the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ. So what does the New Testament say? Uh, what's different about how we should live now? What's the same? Uh, well, for example, Jesus told us, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a great one. We're still supposed to do that. In fact, uh, if you think about the Ten Commandments, nine of them are explicitly repeated in the New Testament. And I don't think that that means that the tenth one isn't valid anymore. I, actually, I think what it means is that we sh still should try by faith to follow all of the Ten Commandments. But on the other hand, the New Testament changes some things, like the food restrictions. There are all those kosher laws, and in the New Testament, those are taken away. So, pepperoni pizza, if God leads you to eat it, eat it by faith. You can do that. Um, so the Old Testament still teaches us about our walk of faith with God, but it needs to be interpreted in light of the new. That's why Paul could tell us in 2 Timothy 3 that all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. So Old Testament is still useful for us if we understand it light, rightly in terms of who Jesus Christ is. Okay, I hope that makes sense. I know that's a difficult one to understand. In fact, it's difficult for me to understand. In fact, as I was preparing this sermon, I felt like in some ways, theologically, this passage was, was as challenging as any I've preached on. This, this idea of how we should under, understand the Old Testament is a difficult one. And you know, feel free to... Talk with me, talk with each other about how we should rightly understand the Old Testament. It's a big topic. Um, so, anyways. And then number three. Jesus' teaching on the law helps us understand how we should follow him now. Jesus fulfilled the law and brought about the new covenant in which we are to live by faith now. Romans 8.2, which I put up there, it speaks about being set free from the law of sin and death. Hooray, we've been set free. But it also says 
that there is this law of the spirit of life. So you see, it's not just that we've been set free from all law, it's that we've been set free to live in this new covenant. And within the new covenant, there are some things that we need to figure out about how to live. Now, here's the great part about the new covenant. In the new covenant, God's laws are written on our minds and on our hearts. In fact, that was a prophecy from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, looking ahead to a better covenant, it said God will write the laws on your hearts and on your minds. It also says in the Old Testament, that in the New Covenant, that God would give us a new heart and put His Spirit within us. So that's how we're to follow God in this New Covenant. Realizing that we have a relationship with Him. He lives in us. The Holy Spirit guides us and we are to follow Him. Now, in that sense, though, in some ways to me, it feels like the bar has been raised. Because in the Old Testament, there were 600-some laws that the people were to follow. But in the New Testament, we have all these commands that we're supposed to follow. But God has given us His Spirit so that we can follow them. And when we do mess up, which we will, we go to God through Jesus in repentance. We tell Him, I'm sorry, I've messed up that one. That command that you said I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, I'm sorry that I didn't do that right there in that specific case. You tell us that we're supposed to be patient and bear with one another. I'm sorry, God, for how I didn't do that with my child the other day or just now or whenever it was. We come to God in repentance and He purifies us from all unrighteousness. Because remember, our righteousness doesn't come from our own effort. It comes from Christ. Now, there's a couple ditches we could fall into. The first ditch, as we're trying to walk this straight path in the New Covenant, the first ditch we could fall into is that we try to do it all in our own power. But that's not how we're supposed to do it. God gave us His Spirit so we can do it in His power. But then the other ditch to fall into would be to say, well, it just doesn't matter anymore because even if I mess up, Jesus is going to forgive me. Well, no, that's not the right attitude either. We are to focus our eyes on Christ and walk with Him in the power of the Holy Spirit. So our, our life in the New Covenant is to be a life where we continually seek to follow Christ in love. And in that sense, Jesus' teaching about the greatest commands make perfect sense. I put these up here. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Want to know how to follow God? There you have it. Love God Love your neighbor. So those two things, which are quotes from the Old Testament, very much still apply to us. That's how we are supposed to live. That's how God wants us to live, loving him more and more. I, I'm praying that prayer a lot more for myself and for others, that we would love God more and more. And that as we do that, that we would extend that love to those around us, loving our neighbors. That is new covenant, walking with Jesus Christ. That's the life that God is calling us to live right now. Remember, God has always expected that we follow him according to his ways. These are his ways. That's why Paul could say in Romans 13.10, love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. He was the once for all sacrifice. There is no law following that anyone could ever do to make our way to God. Jesus is the way. So now we live in this new life, and it's to be a life of love, a life of following Christ, a life of seeking to honor God by living according to his ways. 
It's no longer a life of animal sacrifices. It's a life of offering sacrifices of praise to God. And then righteousness in that, by faith, is given to us as a gift. And from that as a starting point, as God has changed us and cleansed us and drawn us to himself, we are to seek to honor God by following him according to his ways. That's how we live in the new covenant. So then my concluding question for you, like I asked at the beginning, do you want to honor God? How important is it to you in your life that you honor God? And if God said to you, do blank, would you do it? Well, what is it that God has said to us? He said to us that he loves us and wants us to follow him, to walk with him, to know him, to grow in our faith. He says that we're supposed to do that as we pray, as we read the Bible, as we remember to gather together in fellowship, as we worship him, as we do all of those things, we are to keep our eyes on Christ, loving God more and more, loving our neighbor as ourselves. So will you walk daily, even moment by moment, with Christ? Jesus fulfilled the law so that we could have this relationship with God. Will you walk in it? Now that's a whole lot. Again, you know, if you thought the Old Testament bar was high, the New Testament bar is, is very high. And we can't do it by ourselves. That's where faith comes in. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. But let's seek to live that life, repenting when we mess up, but always walking by faith you pray with me. Father, thank you that you have shown us how we can know you. Thank you, Jesus, that you came so that we can be forgiven and can have a relationship with God forever. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and we do now pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can live the lives that you're calling us to live in this new covenant. And God, I pray that you would give us wisdom and insight into this new covenant and how we can honor you by walking rightly with you. God, I pray that every single one of us would have hearts that honor you. That we would seek to live according to your ways. And that, God, you would fill us with joy as we walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.